Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, January 18th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. All right, Jacob, it's just you and I today, but uh, let's fire through some news, shall we? Let's talk about what's been going on in the old movie entertainment news world. Uh, one of the big... Today. Like, <laughs> I, like, I know sometimes Mondays are a little dull. Sometimes Friday afternoons don't give us anything to work with, but... I think we have some interesting things to talk about today, Ben. Yeah, and we were talking a lot on Friday. Uh, actually, the entire episode was devoted to WandaVision, so we didn't talk about any news that came out that day. But one of the big pieces of news that hit on Friday was that Ethan Hawke is going to be playing the villain in Moon Knight, which is a Marvel Studios show that is coming up on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we know that Oscar Isaac is uh, going to be playing the lead character, the title character in that show. And we don't really have any more details, unfortunately, about who Ethan Hawke is going to be playing. Um, the list of uh, rogues in the that, that that the character of moon knight has encountered is uh i mean um as obscure as it is long i think there's a lot of really ridiculous characters uh you know when you get when you start getting into these like lower tier marvel characters uh they face off oftentimes against lower tier marvel villains which to my eye are always like some of the most entertaining characters in comics just because it seems like they're really, really sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of ideas and just like, you know, there are characters like uh, Flag Smasher and Black Tarantula and, you know, uh, just obscure, really. There's one in this uh, article that HT wrote um, referring to a character called the Hate Monger. Like, I don't know what that is, but, uh, you know, when, when they get to that level, um, I always enjoy the creativity on display here. So hopefully Ethan Hawke will be playing somebody um, you know, where he can really sink his teeth into this character. Uh, Jacob, what do you think about Ethan Hawke joining the MCU? Well, funny you say sinking teeth into things because uh, Moon Knight's first appearance in Marvel Comics, before he had his own series, before they realized he was an ongoing character, uh, he was introduced as a werewolf hunter. Was he really? I had no <laughs> yeah. idea about that. Uh, uh, dear listeners, uh, over the weekend, uh, I arrived in the mail my copy of the brand new Marvel Omnibus of like the first 
decade or so, or however long it was, of Moon Knight stories in one hardcover collection. So my goal is to become a Moon Knight expert for you, so I can make the uh, the assumptions and the uh, educated guesses about this series going forward, because unlike a lot of Marvel characters, my Moon Knight knowledge is extremely slim. I can't even tell you who Ethan Hawke could be playing. I've read a little bit of the more modern Moon Knight, but not enough to even have a good guess. Uh, but Ethan Hawke, he's, a, he's one of the actors who just like under the radar really good. I feel like we, we underrate Ethan Hawke. He's been so good for so long and so reliably good at having a, at showcasing a, a wide range that we we write him off. We don't get excited about Ethan Hawke in a way that we should be excited about Ethan Hawke. Do you agree mm-hmm. about that? I do, yeah. And I know like HT on our podcast is a, is a huge like outspoken fan, but I feel like there should be more outspoken Ethan Hawke fans out there because he's just, uh, he, I mean, he's the kind of guy that I think she mentioned in this uh, in this article that he really just like elevates anything he's in. And one of the most interesting thing is, things about him as an actor is the stuff that he chooses to be in. Like he, you know, there are a lot of actors, especially from his generation, who sort of have that... Um, I'm above it all kind of vibe. And Ethan Hawke is absolutely not that person. He's the guy who delves into genre stuff that he finds interesting and has done that really, you know, for the past 30 years. <laughs> so um, I, I'm very excited that he's joining the MCU. I guess just a quick note here. He, I believe, was one of the people who was in final contention for, or at least contention for the role of Doctor Strange when that movie was being uh, cast. So, uh, I mean, we're, what, five years out from that now, or somewhere around there. And now he's he's finally uh, being slotted into the MCU in a different way. So um, we'll definitely be keeping you guys updated about this when we learn more. But uh, Jacob, let's move two on to our... Sorry, two additional notes about Ethan Hawke before we go on. I, I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt the, your flow, your, your, your hosting <laughs> flow, Ben. Uh, but uh, one, I think it's hilarious that he's taking on this role because... Just a few years ago, I think you asked about Logan. Uh, Ethan Hawke is, has a famous quote where he derides superhero movies in all forms. <laughs> I like that once he's offered the paycheck, you can't say no to that Disney money. Yeah. Uh, but also, just because you mentioned it, I want you to imagine, Ben, and rank the alternate dimension Doctor Strange is the one where Marvel got their first choice, who is Joaquin Phoenix, and the alternate universe where Cumberbatch said no, and Ethan Hawke took it. Can you tell me? envision those movies in your head and tell me, would you prefer Ethan Hawke or Joaquin Phoenix over Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange? Mm, I really enjoyed Doctor Strange when it came out, but it is not a Marvel movie that I think about very often. And even when Doctor Strange has factored into other movies, the the uh, Infinity War and Endgame films, I, I just, he hasn't really left that big of an impression on me. So I feel like, and maybe it's... This might be unfair, but I feel like Benedict Cumberbatch is like, um, he's very good in the Sherlock show. I feel like he's he's a very even keel performer. And I think I would have preferred seeing somebody like Hawk or uh, Phoenix who can get fully unhinged in a really entertaining way, play that character. Although Jacob, you're like a much bigger Doctor Strange fan than me. So like, it, it does that kind of unhinged um, mentality lend itself to the Doctor Strange character, or is Cumberbatch actually doing the character justice by being a little bit more buttoned up? I think the buttoned up works for me. I guess Doctor Strange is my favorite Marvel hero, and I think the fact that he is this icy, cold, sure of himself professional is kind of part of the appeal of the character for me, that he's unflappable, and I think that Phoenix and Hawk play flappable very, very well. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy with where it is, but 
I'm just I'm just here to derail shows, Ben. I'm not on the news episodes very often, so when well, I'm here, I derail things. That's my, that's my well, job. Look, my my host flow is meant to be interrupted. And actually, since you you brought us back in here, it reminds me that I was going to ask you one more question about this, and you know some of the other stuff that we'll talk about later on this episode. I feel like is going to be kind of short, so I feel like we're okay spending a little bit more time in this in this Marvel zone. Uh, the um, genre filmmakers Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead were recently attached to be uh, directors on this Moon Knight show. And I don't remember if we talked about that on the podcast. If we did, it seems unlikely that you were on that specific episode. I know that you have seen some of their movies. What do you make of these guys being behind the camera on the show? This is such an intriguing choice. If you've seen their films, they sort of have these uncompromised indie visions of like difficult, strange, wild, challenging science fiction. And not just in terms of plotting, but in terms of structure and style. You don't know what you're watching with their movies until you're halfway through it and maybe even beyond there. I think they, they're really incredible filmmakers and I don't know if they're, if they're hired guns for this, if they just wanted that, you know, Disney money so they can fund whatever the next big project is, or if they're actively excited to make a Moon Knight project. But I do know that Moon Knight, who's a character by his very nature, is fractured and strange and possibly unwell. <laughs> That's about Moon Knight. He's either an extremely um, powerful superhero or he's an extremely well-trained, crazy man. And it's not clear which one it is. And I think that hiring them suggests that maybe they're leaning into that, the idea of identity and how and hiring filmmakers who can maybe shoot things that showcase how identity can, can change and have to be a visual thing instead of just a plot thing. Yeah, um, I have not seen any of their films. I think they're best known for movies called The Endless and Synchronic is the other one. Um, but I know at least one of them is on Netflix right now. I think one of them may be available to rent elsewhere. But I these guys, I'm, I need to like put them on my radar. They've sort of been like you know in the outer reaches, uh, orbiting my my radar. But I feel like I need I need to actually engage with their work and and uh, you know see what all the hype is about. So I know it's streaming somewhere, Ben. You need to seek out Spring. I think it's their third film. Oh, yeah, that's uh, in my Hulu, uh, my Hulu queue. Uh, yeah. I combine those two words weirdly so, just let's now. Let's do um, at home. Spring is essentially a Richard Linklater-esque movie about a man and woman walking through a European town over the course of like six months, slowly falling in love, having long conversations and long shots as they walk past beautiful countryside. But at night, she's also a monster who eats people. Um, <laughs> it's really, really good. <laughs> All right. I think actually I remember you talking about this a long time ago on an episode of the water cooler and I added it to my queue, you know, way back when, and I have not gotten my way uh, into that yet, but I, I definitely need to check that one out because uh, my interest has, has been renewed afresh. So uh, that is spring and I believe it's streaming on Hulu right now. Okay. So let's get into our next news item here, uh, Jacob, which is a Dungeons and Dragons TV show is in the works. Tell me about that. Yeah, this is Different from the Dungeons & Dragons movie being made by directors Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly of Game Night, which is set to star Chris Pine. Uh, this one is being uh, shepherded by uh, Derek Kolstad, best known for being the guy who wrote the, John, the first John Wick movie and has credits on the other John Wick movies. And he's been really busy. He has a lot of things on his plate. Uh, so Dungeons & Dragons, we can add to it. And here's my thing with Dungeons & Dragons, Ben, is that I cannot tell you what this will be. I mean, there is no canonical Dungeons & Dragons story. There is no canonical Dungeons & Dragons tone. That's because Dungeons & Dragons is defined by people who play it. As you know, it's a famous, the famous role-playing game, tabletop RPG, dice-throwing storytelling game. And it's one of those things where it's it's actually selling better now than it ever has in the history of of, of the entire franchise. (laughs) D&D is more popular, more mainstream, does better numbers in 2021 than it has ever so this is the time to strike while the iron is hot because people 
regular folks, not just, you know, the, the stereotypical dungeon, you know, basement dwelling nerd is playing and enjoying D&D and understanding the appeal of role-playing games. So my big question for everybody is that the Daily and Goldstein and Chris Pine film, that to me suggests a comedic bent on D&D, which is fine. I've been in D&D campaigns where the fantasy is tinged with comedy all the time, whereas Kolstad is a the more of a serious, hardcore action guy, which is also really neat. So my question to you, Ben, knowing that Dungeons and Dragons is defined by the people playing it, or in this case, the people who are creating the movie or TV show, uh, can you be excited about, about Dungeons and Dragons movie as a non-gamer, knowing that there is no like canonical tone or story or characters? Yeah, and I think it actually makes it much more interesting that there are two projects being developed simultaneously, and I hope they actually have nothing to do with each other. And I hope that one, I hope that like you're alluding to, the movie is actually like a full-blown comedy, and then maybe this show takes a totally different tone. I, I just, you know, that's the thing that that we've been harping on over and over again with the Star Wars stuff in the past few years. It's just like these universes are so big. There's so much room to do interesting stuff there. Just like make something completely niche. I think that's why, you know, when I have still only seen the first episode of um, Star Trek Lower Decks, but I remember loving that that concept, just, you know, this animated comedy that takes place, you know, off in this little corner far away from the main action of all these other shows. Um, I love that idea and that concept. So hopefully, um, you know, that kind of thing is, is coming to light in this Dungeons and Dragons uh, universe or universes that are being built here. Um, I, I wonder though, Jacob, do you think that like you're saying that, you know, there is no canonical uh, take on this story, but like, are there, um, I, I guess just to back up for a second, when I first heard this news, the first thing I thought of was like, wow, Derek Kolstad is a really interesting person for this because so much of the John Wick franchise is about the world building and that's what really elevates that franchise beyond just you know a typical like direct to dvd action kind of you know <laughs> like garbage action basically um so the idea of that guy coming into those this world and like building things up sounds really interesting it sounds like kind of a, a cool fit just him doing that in a fantasy space but like uh are there things that you as a uh, Dungeons and Dragons, as somebody who's more familiar with that than I am, are there things that uh, are requirements for a story like that? Does there have to be, I don't know, a mage character, a giant, you know, I, I don't know what the other um, sort of stereotypical uh, things are, or or is it much more open than it seems in my mind? It is incredibly open. I've never played a D&D game that was, you know, the same as a previous one. And that's the thing. If you're the kind of player who goes and buys various books, like you can buy setting books for D and D, where like here is a region, here are the people who live in it, here are the various towns, and here are various storylines and story prompts. You can follow those by the book and lead the players through those. And like if they ask, "Oh, who lives here?" the book will have an answer. Or you can run games or play games where the dungeon master, the DM, the person running the game, uh, fills in the blanks themselves and creates their own stuff whole cloth. Um, both are entirely viable and both are allowed. And there are various different realms and worlds in the various D&D books and you can mix and match them or treat them as their own solo thing. It, there really is no right way to do it. I mean, of course, there's such thing as a balanced party. I mean, if you, if you, my, my current D&D campaign, I'm playing for half a decade now at the same group, you know, <laughs> I'm a barbarian. I go out there and I hit things really hard and get hit. I protect the maid <laughs> who's firing fireballs from the back. We have an archer who now, who recently joined the game, who is... um hitting things from the back as well we have you know um our, our healer our, our our um i'm blanking on the name of what he, the healer class is but they're the guy who um is on the front lines with me but also taking care of 
so there's such things as a balance team in D&D. When you're playing, you, you want to have all mages, you'll die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, it's not like Derek Cole's dad is forced in the corner saying, okay, I must have a mage. I must have a fighter. I must have mm-hmm. this. Uh, so it's it's very much a case of the D&D writers, the creators, have released dozens upon dozens of books of character classes and towns and worlds and villains and possible storylines. Uh, so for me, the, the real fun of this is seeing what Colstad, the creator of John Wick on paper, does with that. What he, what he thinks is interesting. What he is, as the writer, he's the DM of this story. What's he going to pick? What's he going to mm-hmm. do? And that, that to me is also interesting. However, my caveat is that half of the D&D experience is a DM giving the players prompts and letting them respond and letting the story happen organically. So the D&D without the organic conversation gameplay, which is to me the entire appeal of role-playing, I do not know what that looks like if it just becomes generic fantasy. We'll see. What That's if it's a combination? What, do you think that they would do, that they would make, you know, sort of a, a more meta kind of version where it's like, you know, the framing devices each of, of, each, of each episode is a bunch of people sitting around a table and talking about it. And then like the bulk of the episode is the, you know, the, the visualization of the the world that they're in. I think it's such a, I've thought about this. My ideal D&D adaptation is one you just described, which is two stories being told simultaneously, the players at the table and the people playing the game, or sorry, in the, or the characters in the game. You have a dramatic fantasy story of dungeons and dragons and mages and adventuring uh, where, where, where the, where it's, it carries out dramatic heft. You can cut back to that table where the people playing the game are actually having the conversation. They're occasionally arguing. They are having disagreements. They are, getting emotionally upset or engaged or, you know, or, or by the game at hand. And mm-hmm. I think a, a really masterful take on D&D uh, as a movie would be to have that story around the table where the players are interacting as human beings, have that carry as much weight as the actual action of, you know, killing dragons and, and finding loot and, and saving the realm. Mm-hmm. If, if they manage to pull that off, I think that would, that would be a Lego movie-esque, like, understanding of why people love this stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, well, I'm excited now. After <laughs> after having this conversation, we'll have to see if the the eventual movie ends up uh, ends up sort of living up to that excitement. But uh, we'll see how that goes. So um, the next item here is that uh, Godzilla vs Kong has shifted release dates yet again. But this time, it is not another delay. It is in fact moving up on the release calendar. So uh, this movie has been delayed a ton of times. Um, you know. Several of those, at least, have been, have come because of the coronavirus pandemic. So that's no film of or no fault of the film. Um, but now this movie has been moved from May twenty first all the way up to March twenty sixth of this year. So um, Godzilla vs Kong, of course, is being directed by Adam Wingard, and it is the the sort of uh, yeah the, the meeting of these two massive characters. I mean, they've met on screen before, but in terms of like legendaries, monster verse. Uh, these these movies that have, have been sort of building to this moment uh, since 2014, this is going to be the first time that these characters interact with each other in a, a significant way. So uh, this movie is also going to be one of the Warner Media properties that is going to be released uh, simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. So March 26th, HBO Max, you don't have to leave your house to see this film. Um, the most interesting thing about this to me, Jacob, is just uh, is not something that we really have any um, specific uh, specific details about, but the fact that this is a legendary project and this release date has been moved up instead of further back seems to indicate that Warner Brothers and Legendary may have reached some sort of agreement about what's going on with this movie because 
this was one of the films that was discussed right when Warner Brothers made their big announcement about releasing those films, uh, or its entire 2021 film slate on, uh, you know, in, in theaters and on HBO Max at the same time. This was one of those films that was mentioned as like the people, uh, you know, who work at Legendary, who were not told about this decision in advance, were very angry about being blindsided like this. And Dune is the other big Legendary movie that's supposed to come out this year. And I guess there are still some questions about whether or not Dune is actually going to, like, you know, be able to meet that, that uh, g- going to be able to fit into that strategy in the way that Warner Brothers has announced that it will. Um, there have been talk of lawsuits and, and all sorts of stuff there. So uh, I guess it seems like, you know, w- w- like I said, we don't have any, <laughs> any uh, inside knowledge of contracts or, or what may have happened in back, you know, studio boardrooms or whatever, but it seems like, uh, it's positive news that this movie is being moved up uh, on its on the release calendar, and um, I guess we'll have to hope that that uh, things can get worked out in a similar way with Dune. So uh, I don't really have much else to talk about with this one. I just wanted to sort of keep people in the know and, and let them know that uh, they'll be seeing Godzilla versus Kong sooner than anticipated. But Jacob, do you have any any thoughts about any of this? Doesn't feel like a big fu to Legendary to move it up because clearly the COVID vaccine is not going to be ready in a lot of or why they distributed in a lot of major markets yet. So I feel like this feels like Warner Bros. saying, okay, you want release under your terms? Here you go. Screw <laughs> you. We'll, let's watch your box office get decimated compared to our streaming numbers. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I didn't see it as like a vindicative move, but uh, or a, a vindictive move rather. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess there, there could be a, an undercurrent of spite here. So uh, yeah, I, I guess I wonder if Legendary has any sort of... Um, recompense for for any of this but uh i guess we'll see but we don't know yet there's so much still that remains unknown so uh let's move on to our next story which involves jacob i think our favorite story of the the past four years Zack snyder's justice league tell me the latest about this movie (sighs) (laughs) okay well as was reported widely on our site and many others uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League is the director's cut of that movie heading to HBO Max, and it's now going to be a miniseries, a four or five hour miniseries of pretty much everything Zack Snyder sh- shot, plus new stuff, edited together and split into episodes, and that seemed to be the plan for a while, until uh, just recently, um, we pulled up the actual day, yesterday, on Sunday, on Vero, the social media network that only Zack Snyder uses, he was asked a number of fan questions, including if it was still going to be a film or a series, to which um, he responded that it is now apparently a movie again. Um, this follows after he described his ideal version of the movie being a black and white IMAX release <laughs> shot in four, three, <laughs> like the first year film student. Um, so I, I, I don't know anymore. I, I don't know. If, for all I know, he said this, um, but HBO Max still plans to cut it into pieces, but, but Snyder will say to everybody, make sure you watch it all in one go like it's an actual movie. I, I don't know. But Snyder himself saying that his Justice League series slash miniseries is, is a movie again is news. I'm just waiting for HBO Max to put out that press release saying it is now a film event or saying we're dropping all five episodes at once to make sure you can binge it as a movie. I'm not so sure what to make of this other than other than me wondering what Zack Snyder is finding in the editing room. And what he's creating, because I'm on the record, thousands of words, both written and, and spoken, that Zack Snyder is the entire wrong fit for these characters in this world. And I couldn't be less excited to see his Justice League. But you know what? People are, and it's coming. They won. They can stop gloating about it. Uh, 
Ben, what do you think? Do you think the idea of this sounds more palatable as a movie and as a five uh, episode series? It certainly does. I've sort of come around to being more interested in this um, just because of the, the sort of weird nature of its existence. Um, I, I'm no longer as uh, vehemently against this as I once was. I'm just I'm just curious now, and I feel like it's going to be. I don't know. It, I feel like it's going to be not very good. And then I'm curious about what happens after that. So <laughs> the curiosity is really what's driving me here. But I, I am open to to this in a way that I I may not quite have been as open in the past. I, I feel like this entire thing, Jacob, is just a like uh, it, it boils down to semantics. Um, I think this actually is going to still be released. My, my guess, if I had to guess, is that this thing actually still is going to be cut up into whatever, four or five parts. Um, and it's just Zack Snyder referring to it as a movie because that's what he has always, uh, you know, thought of it as. And the actual, like, uh, language of the question that was posed to him is this person says, so is this still a series or a one-shot watch of a movie? And he responded, one-shot. So, you know, I think there are a couple different ways that you can take this and, and um, the idea that he's referring to it as a movie now might seem like a big deal, but I feel like it's one of those things where, you know, filmmakers all the time are like, oh, this is like a 17 hour movie, this series that I made of 17, you know, consists of 17 episodes, but it's really like a 17 hour movie. I feel like it's that kind of uh thing where it's just we're getting hung up on on the these words but um it's really just going to be released you know the same as it always was was going to be as soon as uh, hbo max announced it so um i'm yeah. so sick and tired of people claiming tv show or movies and movies are tv shows and i don't need Zack snyder of all people coming in here and muddying these waters because nobody is better at misspeaking his own intentions than snyder <laughs> and he's going to make this so much harder for me going forward to argue that tv and movies are separate forms and deserve to be compared on separate ways i, I hate this so much ben this is even muddied at all yeah and I, I mean like the whole small axe thing that that happened jacob with that like the big conversation about whether that was uh, steve mcqueen's new project on amazon whether that's tv or movie i feel like we're all especially i, I think the the pandemic has um has hastened these trends and blurred the line to such a degree that you if if that's uh, a, a particular hell that you find yourself in trying to draw those distinctions between film and television i have very bad news for you about the, the years to come this has been my hell since twin peaks season three made a bunch of people's best films of the year list as if they thought David Lynch was above television. No, he is friggin' not. The man made television 30 years ago and he came back to it. All right, <laughs> Steve McQueen made five films that Amazon put in a season because Amazon is stupid and doesn't know how to package things properly. <laughs> oh my God, this is my new this is my new Home Alone is not a Christmas movie argument, Ben, or Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. This is... Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to your solo spinoff pod about this. I can't wait to, to hear it. <laughs> All right, let's get into our, our last... I'll myself in my office screaming at YouTube. <laughs> I cannot wait to watch that. Uh, let's get to our last item of the day, and that is uh, a piece of theme park news. Um, Disneyland has canceled its annual pass holder program due to the pandemic. So the president of Disneyland, I believe this was on Thursday of last week, uh, made this big announcement that uh, basically the, the theme park has decided to uh, put an end to its annual pass holder program, which I think is going to have some pretty significant ramifications of, on how uh, people in Southern California uh, engage with 
Disneyland. Like, uh, I think that the big and Jacob, I know you're you're much more in the theme park uh, realm than I am. You are you are uh, ingrained in the news of this community in a way that I never could could be. Um, so I'll just like basically lob this up, and I want to hear your your take on this. But my understanding is that because uh, people in Southern California essentially use Disneyland as you know a, a communal spot, a gathering place, a hangout spot, um, and and uh, these people have this annual pass where basically they can just come and go as they please. Now that this program has, has ended, um, it seems like that is going to change things in a pretty significant way for uh, the way that um, that not only those people interact with Disneyland, those those frequent uh, people, but also the tourists who go there, you know, some only for like one time in their entire lives. And now maybe the parks will be a little bit more empty because those folks who just come to like basically have a drink with their friends in their certain restaurants and wander around and, and maybe ride a ride before they head home, those people might not be there as much. So what's your take on all this? Yeah. I mean, famously a distinction between Disneyland, Disney world and Florida has always been Disney world's a vacation place. You, you save for years and you have the, you know, theme park vacation of a lifetime you go back maybe every four or five years if you're able to or once in a lifetime at all whereas Disneyland is a place where you buy the season pass if you live in California and you drive down there once a month to do two or three rides hang out and go home as you said uh, in fact I, I've seen many people say the the ideal Disneyland experience is four or five hours a handful of rides and you go home um, uh, without like beating traffic and that's not going to happen anymore and I, I know that part of it has to do with the fact that Disneyland needs needs money after being closed for a year they need people to pay that uh increasingly um large you know single ticket admission so they can get in and recoup some money and but like i said this fundamentally changes the way people experience Disneyland. if you if you're a local if you're if you're someone who's there all the time I mean, there are freaking social clubs slash gangs of people who literally go to disneyland just to hang out and we're like matching outfits I mean, you can find articles online about disneyland gang wars of like various gangs like the area in front of Peter Pan ride is my turf. What, what are you, what's your gang doing here? Wow. I'm getting literal scuffles over it. It's real stupid. It's incredibly dumb. Like it's hilarious. <laughs> um, and this fundamentally changes the culture of Disneyland. And until the past is back, this changes how Disneyland fans interact with the park. And I'm very curious to see how this changes the culture of, of that area. And, um, and just going forward, how Disneyland feels. I mean, I have not been to Disneyland in a long time. I was a Disney World kid growing up. Every four to five years, my mom would script and save to take us down to Orlando. It was always a big old deal. But I do know from other people that Disneyland pass holders are also the people who, when you walk into a ride, will shout along the lines of the ride um, to prove they know it because they're regulars. And look at me. Aren't I special? I know all the lines of this ride. So if this gets rid of those people on a permanent basis, thumbs up, Disneyland. Get rid of them all. That's what I say. I, I'm just wondering if like uh, that culture has created these people who are, um, for lack of a better term, addicted to Disneyland and that like even if this uh, pass has been removed, if uh, they have to pay full price for, you know, if that's really going to, if anything can stop them from <laughs> from showing up and uh, showing off that they know all of the words to the Haunted Mansion intro or whatever. Like, do you think this really, I mean, I guess... I guess it just boils down to like the fact that we're still in an ongoing pandemic and so many people have been negatively impacted financially that, uh, I mean, like you sort of alluded to, like maybe that's part of the reason why Disney is doing this is to sort of try to bridge that gap of all this huge amount of money that they lost over the last year. But 
will these people, uh, you know, still still come back in the same um, in the same waves that they used to before? I don't know. I guess we'll we'll have to see. I, I do want to. The picture may not be quite as dark uh, as I'm making it out to be because the president of Disneyland also mentioned that there's some sort of new membership offerings that are, I guess, being in and they're in the early development stages right now. Um, I don't know what those are going to be, if it's going to be, you know, essentially a one-to-one replacement for the uh, pass holder program, or if it's going to be something slightly lesser, which is what my guess would be. Um, But, you know, something is going to replace this eventually, but the timing is so uh, in flux right now that we don't know what that's going to look like exactly. So I'm curious. On a a goofy note, Ben? Yes, literally the character goofy, because we're talking about Disneyland or... (laughs) I, I know president of Disneyland refers to Disneyland as a company within the Walt Disney Company, as a larger corporation. Um, but every time, every time you say the words <laughs> Disneyland president, I imagine a, a man with a giant mustache and a monocle and a very oversized bow tie wearing a red and white pinstripe suit and holding a, a straw hat music man style and like in yes. his hand. Walking out of the castle where he has his offices and conducts his business about what helps in Disneyland. It, that's just the image I have in my brain of, of what he must look like and where he I must mean, operate. I have the same exact image. So uh, there must be something about the way that Disneyland is laid out and, and the, the, the humans that wander and, and inhabit that space that uh, has incepted that, ideas into our mind, that idea into our minds. So uh, I'm happy if we can spread that out to other people and have other people. <laughs> now we can infect that and, and spread the inception. So cool. hopefully. All, uh, all I know is that the, if by canceling the, the season uh, season pass plans, the president of is going to face a very rough, uh, very rough re-election. Maybe maybe <laughs> Mickey Mouse can try to take it back from him this year. <laughs> oh, what a great way to end! All right, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Slash Film Daily. Uh, you can find more about all the, story, the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com, of course, and linked inside the show notes of this episode. The show is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. I want to take just a second to actually, uh, I know I say this at the end of every episode, or Peter does when he's hosting. I, I genuinely am putting out the call now though if you uh, are if you have a mailbag question for us that you'd like us to dig into in a significant way i think we're going to have some time finally to be able to devote to mailbag stuff so maybe even if you've sent in a mailbag question over the past 6 months or a year and we haven't gotten to it maybe send it back in now fresh um and uh, i would love to to have like a whole bunch of things to choose from in upcoming episodes so maybe we can actually engage with that in a real uh, a real substantial way coming up soon ask so. us goofball questions ask us real questions about movies and tv like actually if you have an actual question about like the film industry or upcoming releases or yeah, recommendations or about genre or anything but also send us goofball crap send us like your recommendation for who should play the president of disneyland in a movie you know, yeah, we'd love to hear it. We'll read your goofball stuff if it's good goofball stuff. <laughs> All right. So uh, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.